Well, praise God. Take your Bibles out, if you would, please, and turn with me to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, it's the very last, well, last uh, Z, uh, next to the last, I think, uh, book in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 14. <clears throat> Zechariah chapter 14 in verse 1. It says, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all nations, all the nations, to battle against Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity. But the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Actually, they will run into Jordan. It's called the flight, the, the flight of the sun-clothed woman in the book of Revelation. There will be a place in their cousin. Jordan is their cousins. And Jordan will actually welcome a remnant of the Jewish people. This is all talking about during the tribulation. Are you with me? Say amen. But a remnant will be spared. Verse 3. Then... The Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. They're going to be in big trouble. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north, and half of it towards the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azel. Yes, you shall flee as you fled in, from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come, and all the saints with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, that we are serving you today, God. Lord, you said, will I do anything until I have shown it to my prophets? And Lord, you are revealing in these last days what you are about to do. And we are so honored and privileged, Lord, to be living in the generation that is seeing these things unfold in this very hour. Lord, I pray today that you will just remove the scales from the eyes of your people and help them see the moment that we are living in, God, and recognize, God, the importance of getting serious about the business of the Father. Lord, you told us to be about the Father's business. You told us to occupy until you come. Lord, you told us that we should be serving you every single day until we hear that trumpet sound and the dead in Christ rise and those that are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet you in the air. So, Lord, I pray today, God, that you will just speak a word of truth to us today, Lord Jesus. I pray every word that goes out of my mouth, Lord, will be led and inspired by your spirit, God, and it will be truth. God, no falsehood whatsoever. Guide my words now. Anoint me to preach, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Uh, throughout history, there's been a lot of very foolish people that has tried to tag a date 
on when Jesus would return. That's foolishness. I say that's foolish because in Mark chapter 13 and verse 32, it says, But of that day and hour no man knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 33 says, Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor, that's you. And to each his work. In other words, you and you and you and you and everybody in here and everybody that names the name of Jesus has a work to do. He gave to each one the work that they're supposed to do and the authority to do it. Are you hearing me, church? You've got something you're supposed to do, and God has given you the authority because Jesus is not here. I watched for him to come in the door this morning, and he didn't walk in in bodily form. He has gone on a long journey, and he has left you, his servant, with authority to do the job that he's given you to do. Do you see this? And he commanded the doorkeeper to watch. So watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly. What does that tell me? When he comes, it's going to be suddenly. And when he does come, suddenly, he finds you sleeping. That would be the very foolish virgins. The Bible says there are ten virgins. Five were wise and they were watching. Five were foolish and they were asleep. Their oil ran out and their lights had gone out. Now, I've been preaching this stuff for a long time, folks. And what the Lord has shown me about this is there were not five virgins and five harlots. There were ten virgins. In other words, he's talking about the church. There are people in the church that got the Holy Spirit. Their fire is burning. There are some people that's just playing games in church. There's no oil in their lamp. There's no light in their lamp. If you walked and met them out in the Christian, yes, I'm being critical. This is critical. Somebody said, your, your church is too critical. This is critical stuff. There are people that has no oil in their lamp. They have no light burning. But they profess the name of Jesus. They are foolish virgins. And when he comes suddenly, he will find them sleeping. Verse 37, and what I say to you, I say to all. Watch. Are you watching, church? Are you watching what is going on right now in biblical history? Because I am. And it, it's my flesh, it's frightening. But in my spirit, it's exciting. I wish I knew more about how this is going to unfold. It would comfort me more. But it's kind of frightening. Because we have lived in comfort for so long. We feel like somehow it is owed to us. 
Christians around the world don't know what that's like, like we do in America. And so to, the, the thoughts of not having that, it's, it's frightening. But what I want to focus on this morning, church, is nobody knows when Jesus will return. But this I do know, absolutely, without question, he will return. In the book of Acts, in chapter 1, when Jesus had ascended, it said after he said these things, verse 9, after he spoke these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heavens? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. Now, what that tells me is they saw him leave, and they will see him return. This same Jesus that was caught up, that word is rapazo. We get the word rapture from that Greek word. He was caught up into the heavens, and they saw it. And he said, you're going to see him come back the same way. But you have to understand that wasn't his first rapazo. Because when he was in the garden... Mary recognizing me said, do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go tell the brethren that I ascend to my God and your God. All right? Then the next time we see him there in the upper room, and he walks through the wall, and he says, here, Thomas, touch my hands and my side. What does that tell me? He had ascended to God. And we read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, 10, and 11, you will read about how he went into heaven and he presented not the blood of bulls and goats, but his very own blood to cleanse the instruments in the tabernacle in heaven. Not the tabernacle made with hands, but the tabernacle which the one on earth was just a pattern of. So he ascended into the heavens secretly, and then he ascended into the heavens publicly. Therefore, it is scripturally sound to say he will return secretly like a thief in the night when the dead in Christ shall rise and those that are alive will be caught up to meet him in the air and he will ascend publicly when his feet shall touch the Mount of Olives and it will be split in two and he will come back with his saints. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, that's you. Now, that's exciting news. Now, I've been preaching about this a long time, but the Lord is really getting me fired up about this because I know that he's coming back again. And even if we don't take the Scripture, I'm not telling you not to take the Scripture, but just apart from Scripture, we know from history that these things are true. This man, Jesus, historically we know that he did the things that the Bible says that he did. He split time in two. The, the, the Julian and Gregorian calendar is dated upon the birth and the coming of Jesus Christ. Everything before him was, was A.D. 
and everything, uh, I mean, it was B.C., and everything after him is, uh, uh, help me say that, Anno, uh, uh, don't, yeah, in the year of our Lord. I always mess up that word for some reason. I, I do know a little Greek and a little Hebrew. One of them runs a uh, bakery, and the other one runs a clinic, yeah. But he was the, he, Jesus was the most written about man in history. He's the most talked about man in history. We know from history, not even from the Bible, we know from history that he was falsely accused. He was illegally arrested. He was illegally tried. He was illegally beaten. And he was illegally executed. And all of that happened at the same, the very same moment that the Jewish people was celebrating the Feast of Passover. Church, that's huge right there. Because the Feast of Israel, there's extremely important in history past and in history present and in history future. Because there were seven Jewish feasts. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruit, the Feast of Pentecost, those four has already been fulfilled by Jesus himself, the man Jesus. Because when he hung on the cross, he fulfilled the Feast of Passover. He was the blood of the lamb that is put over the lintel and the doorpost of people's hearts so that the death angel passes them by. He was the sinless unleavened bread. He was the firstborn, first fruit, the firstborn of many brethren. And 50 days after that, the very time they're celebrating the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes into the upper room on that exact moment. The feasts are important. Are you hearing me, church? And so we need to keep our eye on those things because they are very important. There are three left to be fulfilled. The Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacle. The last three feasts to be fulfilled. Now, these are not only biblical facts, but they are historical facts that's beyond contestation. Nobody can argue with the fact that these things are true. And from this, we know that if all of that past history is true, I believe that what the Bible predicts in the future is also true. Jesus will come again. Now, the reason I say that is because with recent events... It is time for the church, not just in America, but around the world, to wake up, to watch, and to pray. Brother, I went Friday night and watched War Room. If you haven't said, thank you, Curtis. He kept pride me. He said, it's a must-see. Sister Cheryl, somebody said, did you cry? I said, I'm not even going to talk about that. <laughs> We are going to, if you don't make it to see it, that's all right, because we're going to show it right here as soon as it comes out on, on DVD. But it's about the power of prayer. And my goodness, I've went on Facebook. I don't post much on Facebook, but I had to say, went to see War Room, the best movie ever, hands down. And it's about prayer. It's time for the church to watch and pray. Brother, this is no time to be taking a nap. It's no time to be a foolish virgin letting your oil run out and your light go out. Church, it's time to be watching. And I'm keeping my eye on this thing because it's, it's frightening, like I said, but it's also exciting. 
to see, because I, I know that Jesus is going to do some really awesome things. And I don't think it's going to be very far away. I really don't. In recent events in prophecy, we know that the time is near because we've seen things like the rebirth of Israel, the growing of threat of war in the Middle East. Said the Bible prophesied that there'd be an increase in knowledge, there'd be an increase in travel, that the world would become not just divided, but it would become unified globally. The Internet has done that. They're trying to do it geopolitically. All of these things are coming to pass. National disasters, famines, and earthquakes, and pestilence. We've seen it on an increase year after year. I went online to try to see how many earthquakes there were in 2015, and I, the number was like almost unbelievable. 14,000 or something like that, if I remember. Google it for yourself. It's like, oh my goodness, that many earthquakes? And it had them according to 4.0 to 4.9 and 5.0 to 5.9 in the category. And it was just unbelievable how many tornadoes and the, just the global warming. Is, it's, the extremists try to make it bigger than it is. But there are some truths to that. I, I understand it's a cycle, but I don't know about it this time. It may be more than just a cycle. The Bible prophesied that the, that the gospel would be preached to all nations uh, Wycliffe, Bible translators, they're excited the fact that, that, that that prophecy is now being fulfilled because of their work. But the most recent event is how many of you have been listening and hearing even the world talking about the four blood moons? Anybody not heard about that? Everybody's heard about that? Well, if you haven't, I could see a few people shaking their heads like, what in the world is a blood moon? Well, a blood moon is just a total lunar eclipse. It's when the earth passes between the sun and the moon. The moon's got the full reflection of the sun. You've got a full moon, and all of a sudden you see it darken, and it lights back up again. It's a lunar eclipse. That's called a blood moon. And so the four blood moons is a popular book, and some of the hype about this I'm going to be honest with you, sales books. <laughs> Let's be real, it's sales books. There's another book out called The Harbinger. Another one called The Mystery of the Schmitta. And uh, some of the hype about that, I'm, I'm going to be honest enough to myself to know that some of that hype is to sell books. But I'm not going to be stupid enough to ignore what it's saying just because some guy's trying to sell it. I'm going to look at it and try to take out the meat and spit out the bones. Amen? Because there's an element of truth in most things if you will look for it and then just try to get over the fluff. That's why I like books that just get to the point. I hate those books. It's like the breeze was blowing and it was dr dew was dripping and I was feeling. I'm like, shut up and just tell me you were outside. You know, <laughs> so get past all the flood and just get to the meat, you know. And so I dig through there and try to get out the meat. The blood moons is actually something three, it's happened three times over the past 500 years. It is when four blood moons occur back to back at the same time that the Jews are celebrating one of the feasts. Now that is pretty Powerful stuff right there, I have to admit. For them to be celebrating a feast and a blood moon to happen at that moment, that's probably something we should watch 
Four. Are you hearing me, church? It happened the first time in 1493. Can anybody tell me what happened in 1492? Columbus sailed the ocean blue. You did learn to pay attention to school, didn't you? The significance of that is because in 1493, the Jewish people had been expelled out of Spain, and they were wandering the earth with no place to go. And God prepared a place for his people. And, a, and America became the place where the expelled Jewish people could come and live. The second time, the four blood moons happened back to back at the same time the Jews were celebrating their feast was in 1948 and 49. Can you tell me what happened in 1948? Israel became a nation which was something that most people would have said would be impossible. They didn't even know that they were identifiable people. They were scattered everywhere, but they became a nation. The third time it happened was in 1967. Anybody know their history and know what happened in 1967? The Six-Day War, when four nations came against them, and not only did they defend themselves, but they defeated them and took their land. (laughs) How many of you know there's a God in Israel? Church, are you hearing me? For they were outnumbered, they were outgunned, and it is test- there was testimonies from the Egyptians that they saw angelic beings outside of Jerusalem. Their tanks stopped. They jumped out and ran back towards Egypt. And when they caught them, they caught so many, they had to make, build a makeshift prison at the Suez Canal just to contain the prisoners. God is on the side of the Jews, brother, and you mess with them, you're messing with God. Are people crazy? Yes, they are, I guess. The fourth blood moon occurred in April of 2014 while the Jews were celebrating Passover, the first one. The second one happened in October of last year when they were celebrating Tabernacle. It happened the third one in April of 2015 this year when they celebrated Passover, and the very last one was last Monday as they were celebrating Tabernacle once again. Now, each time this has occurred before, there was a significant event in Israel's history. Now, let me talk just a minute about the harbinger and the mystery of the Shemitah. Harbinger just means the prophetic manifestation. When prophecy in Scripture has manifested, that is called a harbinger. You understand? There have been lots of harbingers take place for those who are watching. A shemitah is a Hebrew word meaning release of debts. The Bible calls it the year of jubilee. It's defined in Deuteronomy, what the year of jubilee will be like. It's when their debts should be released. Now, we learn about these things, and the person that's brought them to the forefront is the author of those two books, a rabbi, Jonathan Cain. He's the author of The Harbinger and the Mystery of the Shemitah in the New York Times bestseller. Cain says this, quote, We are now witnessing what appears to be a perfect prophetic storm. For years I have been warning that America was progressing down a course of apostasy and judgment. We're teaching our children something very simple. Obedience brings blessing. Sin brings judgment. Isn't that simple? 
I think we ought to just have children's church come in and teach us these things, brother, because I'm simple-minded. Obedience brings blessing. Sin brings judgment. He's been warning about this. The harbinger has, harbingers have all manifested. The nation's departure from God is accelerating almost exponentially. America's relationship with Israel is at an all-time low. And now, with the striking down of the biblical definition of marriage, the very order of God, we have crossed a fateful line. It is all conversing. He points out in the mystery of the Shemitah that there has been seven seven-year biblical patterns. How many of you know that's important? For those who are watching, the market, uh, th- these patterns have marked the great uh, stock mar- crash of the stock markets in history, the collapse of economies, the rise and fall of nations, world wars, global cataclysms, and end-time events. He says, quote, the Shemitah, the release of debt, Detailed in Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 3, will begin, according to him, on Yom Kippur. That's the Feast of Tabernacles. September the 23rd, 2015, through September of 2016. In other words, according to Rabbi Cain, the Shemitah has begun right now. According to him. Now, I'm not saying that. That's, I'm quoting what he said. You understand? And whether it comes in this time perimeter of the Shemitah or not, I believe a great shaking is coming to this land and to the world that will involve the collapsing of the American economy, the financial realm, and the removal of blessing and prosperity. To that latter part, I agree. I don't know about the Shemitah beginning in September. I'm I'm not one of those that says... This is a fact. This has begun right now. I don't know. It could be. I'm not saying yay or nay. I don't know. What does this all mean? Experts agree across the board that America is heading for an economic collapse. Not only America, but the world will follow. Because when America is prosperous, the world is prosperous. America simply cannot sustain the growing national debt. Recent studies done by the McKinsey Global Institute found that the national total debt, including unsecured or unfunded liabilities, is not $17 trillion, politicians often cite, but it is $210 trillion is the debt that our nation owes. That is a figure larger than the estimated total wealth of planet Earth. Church, you can't sustain that kind of debt. It's a balloon that has to pop. Every empire and every kingdom has fallen because of some of these things. Now, it would take too much time, but I went back to my notes in 2008 when I preached a sermon called The Decline and Fall of an Empire. When I compared America to Rome, and the parallels are unbelievably the same. It's just amazing. But every empire has fallen. There's only one kingdom that will not fall. Are you hearing me, church? And of his kingdom, there shall be no end. So we have to decide, do we want to be American? Or do we want to be a part of the kingdom of God? Because it's going to come down to a choice, I believe. Edward Gibbons, an author that wrote The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire in 1788... 
stated five reasons why great civilizations fade. An empire dies because of the undermining of the dignity and sanctity of the home as the foundation of human dignity. Home doesn't mean very much today. Am I right or is this just in my... (laughs) Most children don't know what a healthy home is even supposed to look like in America. Because you've got kids coming from dysfunctional homes that's friends with other kids that come from dysfunctional homes and they don't even know what it is supposed to look like. So the dysfunctional home becomes the new normal. (sighs) Marriage rates have plummeted in America. Marriage rates have dropped since 1980s. They are lower right now than they were during the Great Depression. Children that are raised in two, by two married parents always fare better. Cohabited children that's raised by people that are just cohabitating, they're less stable. And the chances of longevity and commitment and relationship plummets. The second thing he cited is a higher and higher taxes and more government spending. 1788 now he said this. I thought this guy must have been a prophet because he's talking about America. More taxes. We are the highest tax country in the world. And 220 trillion, or even if it's 17 trillion, we can't pay off either one. The third thing he cited was the praise for pleasure, sports, and the increase of brutality in sports. The praise for pleasure. And ultimate fighting. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I can't even watch that. The poor guys are beating the living daylights out of each other. I'm like, my goodness. It's not as bad as it was in Rome. I mean, they were actually killing each other, but I guess some of those guys die. I don't know. And the praise for pleasure. You know what has become a sport in America? This guy's wife and this girl's husband meeting each other in the woods and taking their clothes off. And surviving off of the land. And that's entertainment. Getting naked. Mosquito bit. In the woods. And people are watching this. If you're watching that and I just stepped on your toes, well, good. I've turned over there and I'm... I mean, they, they blink it out, but there's enough there to let you. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, it just makes me feel dirty and nasty inside. And I'm like, this is horrible. To me, I don't know. But I'm praying for you, honey. The building of, the fourth thing, the building of great armaments when the real enemy was within. The, de- the decay of individual responsibility. The Bible says if you don't work, then you don't eat. Amen? But in America, we have raised a narcissistic, entitled society. What do you mean I can't have a cell phone? I can't have internet. I can't have a swimming pool. I can't have my beer, and I can't have my cigarettes. I can't pay my light bill. Well, somebody ought to pay it for me because I'm entitled to that. There is no individual responsibility. If a person can work, they should work. 
And if they want to enjoy all the things that this guy is enjoying over here that's working, then go get a job. And if you can't work, then it's the responsibility of the church to care for you, widows and orphans, and the poor. The Bible says if you turn the heart against the poor, God will turn his ear against you. Are you hearing me, church? And it's an important point to note that if every person who names the name of Jesus around the globe would tithe, just tithe. Never mind offerings and alms, just tithing. Did you know there would be enough money in the church of Jesus Christ to buy and operate every hospital in the world? The church can't do what it's supposed to do because the church doesn't do what it's supposed to do. The church is the people, you understand, amen? I'm not fussing. I know you guys give. I'm preaching to the choir here. I understand that. I guess you do. I don't look at the tithe records. Do what, Where's Lisa? Is she in here? Whoever my treasures are have been. I don't look at the tithe records. I don't know who gives and who don't give. That's between you and God because I want to treat everybody the same. But if you give, God bless you. And if you don't, well, God's not going to bless you. And I'm just going to leave it there, amen? Number five. The last thing he cited was the decade of religious faith fading into mere form and losing touch with life. Religion losing its power over the people. 1788, he said, those are the reasons of the decline. He could have been living in 2015 writing about America. One other guy I'm going to quote, and then I'm going to come by the close. Alexander Tyler in 1750 writes, the cycle that civilizations experience. He gave three noted comments that seem prophetic. Number one, a democracy is always temporary in nature. It simply cannot exist as a permanent form of government. A democracy will exist up until the time that the voters discover that they can vote themselves generous gifts from the public treasury. <laughs> he wrote that in 1750. Wall Street did it, now the voters are doing it. What are they doing? They're spreading the wealth. Alexander Tyler, in 1750, continued by saying, from that moment on, the majority will always vote for the candidate who promises the most benefits from the public treasury. (laughs) I don't care if you can fix what's wrong with America. Are you going to give me some money? Huh? Are you going to give me some money? The last thing he said, the result... 1750, he wrote this now. The result will be that democracy will finally collapse due to loose physical responsibility, which is always followed by a dictatorship. Always followed by a dictator. You know where America's headed? Right there. Right there. It's never failed. The book of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. Show me something that you can say, look, this is new. If you've seen it before, you will see it again. If you've seen it in the past, you're going to see it again. And if you see it now, you will see it again later. There's nothing new. So this stuff is going to continue. Now, experts are saying that debt is the biggest problem in America, that we're running out of money. We can't sustain this debt. And the national debt is a big problem. I understand that. But that is not the biggest problem in America. I've, I've cited two areas that's the biggest problem in America. And the first has to do with personal action. The slaughter of 58 million babies 
That's one of the biggest problems in America. When God called Cain in the Garden of Eden, he said, Cain, where's your brother Abel? He said, am I my brother's keeper? He said, your brother's blood cries out to me from the earth. I preached a sermon. When I first was, was called to preach in 1986, I preached a sermon called The Scream That No One Hears. Because the blood of now almost 58 million babies, just in America, the blood of 58 million unborn children is screaming out to God for justice. And justice will come, church. Are you hearing me? That's one of the biggest problems in America, not our debt. Modesty and self-respect is laughed at in America. That's one of our biggest problems. The Bible says in Jeremiah that there will be a generation that will have no shame. Neither will they blush. That's one of our problems. You're mocked if you're a virgin in America today. Parents encouraging their children to have sex rather than get married into a bad marriage. (laughs) Christians, I would rather you have sex than marry somebody that you will not love and want to live with. The breakdown of the home. Marriage is at an all-time low. The next thing is the action of people that we have no control over. When the Supreme Court throws away the Constitution and the Bible and redefines God's order of marriage, we have a problem. God has always in Scripture judged nations for homosexuality. Always. If he does not judge America, he owes them an apology. They balled up the Constitution when they did not define the law, but they made the law. They threw the Constitution in the trash and the Bible and insulted God by saying, we will define what marriage is, not you, God. That's the problem in America. When America sides against Israel with making a deal with a nation that has sworn to annihilate that nation. That's the problem in America. And they stand and say, now that I heard this guy, and I won't call names because people accuse me of being too critical, but I'm listening to the news. This guy says, now that we've got Iran on our side, I'm like, you are the biggest idiot that's ever sat in front of a camera. Iran is not on anybody's side but the devil's. And then he goes on to say, and now that we are in uh, uh, allies with Vladimir Putin, like this is a wonderful thing. That's the problems that we're having in America, church. Because what, what people don't see, I'm watching. Are you watching? A man named Hal Lindsey. Anybody ever heard of him? He is a biblical teacher that has been saying this stuff for 55 years. He says when Gog comes from the land of Magog, he will go into the Middle East and he will lead a Muslim coalition that will be headed by Iran against Israel. And just a couple of weeks ago, 
Our president handed him the keys of power and authority and walked away. We are retreating all over the world, and we have given Gog from the land of Magog the authority to come in and do what the Bible prophesied thousands of years ago would happen. It's happening right now as we're watching. If you are watching, Vladimir Putin, Gog, Russia is going now into the Middle East and he will reestablish the ancient Babylonian Empire which took in all of Sudan, Egypt, all of the east coast of Africa, all of Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Libya, uh, uh, Yemen, all of that area, Iran, Iraq, all of those areas surrounding Israel will be led by Gog, a Muslim coalition led by Russia against Israel. And they will ravage the city. They will rape their women. But there will be a remnant saved. And even though they got all of this power coming against them, Jesus, the King of glory, will rise up and he will do battle as in the day of battle against them. Now, I am a pre-tribulation pastor. I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. I believe that's biblically sound. You know, do we believe that because we don't want to face the fact that we might have to go through that tribulation? I don't think I'm blinded to the truth and trying to fool myself. I would hate to think that the church is going to go through that. I don't see that in Scripture. I believe that the things that I'm describing is going to take place during the tribulation. But you understand this. This is going to happen suddenly, the Bible says. If you're not watching, when it comes suddenly, you will be asleep. And part of the church, I'm convinced of this, people who profess the name of Jesus, born-again believers, who have let their oil run out and their lamp go out, foolish virgins will be left when the bridegroom comes. I can't find any other explanation to that parable. Those that are wise virgins, that keep their oil full, keep their lamps trimmed and burning, will be watching and waiting for the sound of the trumpet and for the bridegroom to come. That's describing the ancient Jewish wedding. I won't go into it. But when the the man meets the girl, he goes home, introduces her to his father. They go over the ketub of the promise. Then he takes her back home and he says, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. You ever heard that before? You believed in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not true, I would have told you. And I go away. And if I go, I will come again and bring you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. He's talking about the bride to his to the bridegroom to his bride. Jesus has gone to the father's house because the young Jewish man would build on to his father's house and only the father would know when it was completed and say, all right, go get your bride. We can't know the day, but church, we can know the season. He gives us many signs and prophecies to watch for or he wouldn't have told us to watch. And church, it's time for us to wake up and watch and pray. That God will just let that fire come alive in us. That our light will be burning. Because we're watching the presidential election. 
And brother, there's no bailout, no stimulus plan, no social reconstruction that's going to fix this problem. Donald Trump is not going to fix America, church. Hillary Clinton, God knows, is not going to fix America. Carly Fiorina, as much as I admire the woman, she is the smartest guy in the room, in my opinion. But she can't fix this problem. Dr. Ben Carson, I think he's one of the greatest guys on the platform. Loves the Lord, quiet spoken, wise man, can't fix this problem. Jesus Christ is the only one that's going to fix this deal. So what I believe, church, what I believe is that the die has been cast. Proverbs 14, 34 says this, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And because America is not righteous anymore, the nation will no longer be exalted like it has in the past. This has always been a Christian nation. We have always respected and honored God, but not anymore. The highest levels of government, they insult God. All three branches, they insult God. Therefore, sin brings reproach. And America is headed in the wrong way, wrong direction. Therefore, I don't believe that there's any turning back for this nation. Because the die has been cast. God will judge this nation. Mark my word. Has the four blood moons got anything to do with that? The mystery of the Shemitah? I don't know. Are those signs for us to be watching for? Probably. Probably. I don't know what all that's going to look like. I don't. One thing I do know. The only thing that leads you out of darkness is the light. And church America is getting darker and darker and darker. It's dark now, and it's going to get darker. And the only thing that's going to lead you out of darkness is the light. The darker it becomes, the more people will be drawn to and appreciate that light. And this, this is the exciting part of it. I told you, I, there's, there's part of this, is, it's frightening to me. But it's also exciting. Because when we see these things come to pass, Jesus said, when you see these things, the kingdom of God is at hand. No kingdom has ever stood. They've all risen and fallen. It's like God is saying, okay, I'm going to let you, all of you give it your best shot. And everybody has, including America. We give it the best shot of any people has ever given it. And even America has failed. Now he's saying, I'm going to establish a kingdom and it's going to rule for a thousand years and my saints will rule it with me. Whew. I don't know what he's going to give me a job to do, but I, it doesn't matter to me, brother. I just want to be in the kingdom. Amen. I'll be glad just to be the doorkeeper. Come on. In. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of sinful men. Proverbs say, or Psalms say. Amen. But people are going to appreciate the light. The question is, how many of you will take someone into the kingdom? This is the thing that we need to be focused on right now.
I, I, my, my heart is heavy for the young people in here. Because the people that's written all these books, am I boring you? The people that's written these books, I, I noticed something about them. You know, 101 reasons why Christ will return before 1988. Well, you know who wrote that? A man that's getting ready to retire. That hadn't prepared anything for retirement. So he's just convinced, I'm not going to need it because Jesus is coming. And pretty much every one of those books was the same thing. See, young people, you got your whole life ahead of you. And you want to experience the America that we older people have experienced. And so my heart's sad partly for you. But let me tell you something. We've got to get our perspective right. The kingdom of America, the empire of America, the nation of America is nothing compared to the kingdom that's coming. And you're going to live in that kingdom. Do you understand this? You're going to rule and reign with Jesus Christ for a thousand years. If the Bible is true, and I believe that it is. Church, too many of these things have happened precisely as it was prophesied. I have to believe the rest of it will too. The kingdom of God is coming. And when this thing comes down, you're less than a decade from seeing the kingdom of God. Because there will be a seven-year tribulation. And at the end of it, he will set his feet down on the Mount of Olives and it will split in two. And he will establish his kingdom. Read, go home and read the rest of Zechariah chapter 14. Where the judgment will be on the horses and the mules. And everybody, their eyes will rot in their sockets while they stand on their feet. Man, when Jesus goes to war, one angel killed 70,000 men with one swipe of his sword. You're talking about a weapon of mass destruction, brother. He gets to swing that sword around. Everybody's going to die. Jesus, he's not even going to count on the angels. He's going to tell them all, take a back seat. He's going to consume them with the sword from his mouth. That's the side I want to be on right there. So what am I doing? I'm watching. I'm praying. I'm keeping my oil full. And most importantly, church, we need to keep our light burning. Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The question is, how many will we take into the kingdom? Help me out back there, brother. How many of you noticed those lights before now? Didn't even know they were there. But church, the darker that the world becomes, the more vivid that the light is going to be. The more people are going to be drawn to it, the more they're going to appreciate it. And more than any other time in history, I am convinced that we need to be children of the light. It's time for us to tell other people the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The whole world is talking about, the secular media is talking about these things. Because they're not stupid. They, they know biblical prophecy. They're talking about the significance of Russia going into Iran in, in connection with the Bible. The Ford Blood Boons. 
correlating with the Feast of Israel. And each time that happened, something significant in Jewish history took place. It's happened the first three times. What's going to happen now? Just the other day, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel, stood at the platform at the United Nations and the United States of America didn't even come to their seat. In fact, they were told not to come as he addressed the United Nations. And he says, I know the history of my country. Six million Jews were murdered while the world stood by in silence. And today, the United Nations has given power to a people that has sworn to murder my people. And every nation, this is what he did, every nation here has done nothing. You have said nothing. You sit in silence. And then Benjamin Netanyahu took a 45-second stare at every one of them in utter silence. I like that guy. Church, I'm asking you today, are you going to join the silent majority? Or will you speak up and be a light for Jesus Christ and take as many as we can into the kingdom? Because I believe the hour is coming when the judgment of God comes on this nation. When 9-11, the Twin Towers came down, the churches were full. People are drawn to the light when they find themselves in the darkness. Some people will run to the darkness because they love the darkness. Because their hearts are wicked and evil. Some will be indifferent. They'll excuse it and fluff it off. Some people in the church will do that. But there's some people that's going to be looking for hope. And they're going to realize that hope is not found anywhere else but in Jesus Christ. And the time has come for us to watch and pray. You can pull the lights back up. Thank you. I believe that the church's greatest hour is upon us. And although judgment will come on this nation, I don't believe that judgment will come upon the children of God. I believe persecution will come, but not God's judgment. Because he's always protected his people. Obedience brings blessing. Amen? Won't you stand with me? Obedience brings blessing. Sin brings the judgment of God. How many are going to be obedient to the Lord? Amen? We're going to sing a goofy song, and then I'm going to let them sing a serious song. It just popped into my head, and I just happen to believe that's the Holy Spirit. Amen. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I won't let Satan it out. Come on now, you were children. I won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. I won't let Satan it out. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. I'll let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine till Jesus comes. 
I'll let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Where'd my worst thing go, man? I'm right up here. <laughs> Hunter, I want you to sing When Peace Like a River. Sustain my soul when seas like sea billows roll, whatever the fate. He has taught me to say, as well as well with my soul. All right? Because I think this has been a really heavy word this morning. But I want you to know, if you're right with Jesus, your soul is right. Amen? And this morning, if you've been convicted in some way and you just feel like your heart's not right with Jesus, why don't you get that right right now? You know, I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to try to set a mood and try to play on your emotions. You know if you're right with God or not. And church, this is no time to be sleeping and taking a nap and playing games. It's time to get serious with Jesus Christ. If your heart's not right, make it right today. You can do it where you're at. If you want to come and kneel at the altar, it's an old-fashioned altar. We kneel and pray right here at this altar. Nobody will bother It's between you and God. You can come and kneel. But before you leave here today, I want it to be right with your soul. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you are blessed and encouraged by it. Central Virginia Assembly of God is located on 5052 Cross County Road, Mineral, Virginia, 23117. If you would like more information about the church, visit us at centralvaag.org or call 804-514-2413. We would love to hear from you. God bless.